and welcome animation fans to another iAnimate podcast. I'm your host, Larry Vasquez, and this is episode 20. And in this episode, we're going to be talking with Jalil Sadul. This is a podcast I actually recorded sometime back around April-ish, I believe, and uh, just had some other podcasts that we fit in before this one, so I do apologize to Jalil for the delay, but this turned out really, really good. Jalil has a wealth of information. Uh, he's worked over at Rhythm and Hughes on the Chronicles of Narnia, worked over at Weta on Rise of the Planet of the Apes, Avatar, and then he's currently over at DreamWorks where he worked on Rise of the Guardians and is now working on How to Train Your Dragons 2. And so this was a great podcast. I'm sure you're going to find it not only very informative, but just very interesting and entertaining. So without further ado, let's get to the podcast. Well, thank you very much for joining us, Jalil. Really appreciate it. Uh, no worries at all. Thank you for inviting me. You bet, man. You bet. And uh, here you just recently got back from GDC, right? That's right. Uh, I think it was last week. Yeah. Very cool. Now, we've actually had Jonathan Cooper on and Michael Jungbluth on back-to-back. Cool. I know they were very involved with the uh, animation boot camp there. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, you're a presenter, correct? Right, correct. All right. How'd that go? I went really well. You know, it's always uh, nerve-wracking to be to, to, to talk to, you know, uh, a couple hundred people. Uh, but, but it went really well, you know. I think uh, right before the talk, we had a little technical issue with my laptop. It just wasn't plugging in. and So we were about 10 minutes late, so I was there on stage, everyone watching me, and, you know, very, very stressful. <laughs> but, uh, but as soon as, uh, soon as I started talking, I think it, it felt a little better. I was able to break the ice and... And, but yeah, it went really well. I mean, the whole day was fascinating. You know, every single speaker had, had something to bring to the table. And I have to say, I learned so much about stuff that I took for granted, you know, like first person shooter. <laughs> I never thought they would do acting with the hands, you know. And when, he, when, when, um, when I heard that, I was like, oh, wow, that's actually really, really cool. Uh, but yeah, it was, it was an awesome day. I was exhausted by the end. There was so much info. That you know, by the end of the night, it was very, very tiring, but really, really fun. <laughs> That's one of the things I've been really enjoying with these podcasts: the variety that we have. You know, we have the feature animation side of iAnimate, the game side of iAnimate, as well as the rigging side. And All what's right. been kind of cool with those different divisions is that even if somebody's not per se in one or the other, listening to the podcast, it's just for me at least, it's been beneficial to hear how animations applied to these other areas you know and kind of like what you're saying you're learning just so many different things even if that's not necessarily the field that you're in or want to be in per se it's just i think it's just been neat to kind of grow in the knowledge of what's kind of going on in the industry yeah exactly and it's also awesome because you never know how long you'll be in in a certain part of, of this industry you know like it's really cool to see that even if I'm doing a different part of, 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 of animation, it's still as passionate. You know, you have people that are super excited about it. As long as you're being creative and you're seeing stuff move on screen, I think it just, uh, you know, excites us, I guess. Right. Yeah, we actually had a podcast with uh, Cameron Fielding and David Hubert, who were both in the feature side as well, and then now are over in the game side of uh, their profession. Oh, David Hubert. Yeah. I love the guy. <laughs> Well, now let's. Um, I definitely want to talk about what you your topic for GDC. But before we jump into that, can you give us just a background on how you got into the industry? I'm always kind of curious on how people vein in here. You know. Uh, well, actually, I, I I didn't I didn't initially go to study animation. I um, I left him because I'm from I'm from Mauritius, which is a, a tiny little island of the coast of Madagascar. Um, and I left Mauritius to go study engineering in Singapore for. Uh, you know, a four-year course, but after two years into it, I realized that's not what, you know, what I want to do, or, I, or, or I'm good at, you know, I wasn't good at that. Um, so I decided, you know, I wanted to go do something that I, I actually really enjoy, something that I thought was creative, you know, and, and um, so I wanted to do illustration because I, I love drawing. Um, but then at that point, my parents spent so much money on Singapore that I couldn't <laughs> afford to go to a big school. So, so I found this tiny little school, you know, up in Pennsylvania, um, Edinburgh University, and, and I decided, you know, that's where I'm going to go. They have a new animation program, and and I was lucky when I got there because there was um, uh, a professor who actually he was an animator from Disney for ten years, and he decided he wanted to go teach in a small town, you know, somewhere where there's no stress, and he picked Edinburgh. So I got to meet him, 
And that's where I really started getting to, you know, to know about animation. I realized, wow, not only can we draw, but we can actually see these drawings move. And uh, that, that to me was like a revelation. I was like, wow, so wait, animation is, done, is not done by angels, you know? It's like, <laughs> I can actually do that. So, uh, you know, that's when I really, it was only my second year in school, in college, that, that I discovered it. And I was like, wow, that's, that's what I want to do. So, um, so I started animating. It was strictly 2D, uh, you know, uh, in school. And I did four years of it. And after I graduated, my, my teacher came to me and was like, dude, you know, you're not going to get a job, right? <laughs> and I was like, what do you mean? He goes, well, 2D is, is dying, man. And, and, you know, you're going to have to do CG. And I was like, oh, my it it didn't it didn't feel appealing to me CG at, at that point you know I was like I don't know I, I love 2D so much so um, but you know that was like all right I got to do it so I called two of my friends at the time two alumni from Edinburgh they were working on on Jimmy Neutron in uh, Texas um, and they had done the the jump as well from 2D to CG so I called them I was like hey man can you hey guys can you teach me uh, Maya. So I went down to Texas to stay with them for, for two weeks, and I learned Maya. Um, then I returned home, and, and basically for a whole month, I just popped out little tests, you know, little little shorts, and I just applied. It was about, it was around November of 2004, and, um, you know, I heard nothing for a month or two because no one was hiring uh, in December. And uh, but then it was the first week of January, I guess, after the tax stuff, they started looking at what who they were going to hire. That's when I started getting calls, and and then I got a call from uh, from Rhythm and Hughes. At that time, they were working on on the Chronicles of Narnia, and I remember when they called me, they were like, "Oh yeah, we're Rhythm and Hughes, and we worked on Babe and all." So I was like, "Oh yeah, that's really cool." They're like, "Hey," so I'm like, "So what are you guys working?" They're like, "Well, we're doing Chronicles of Narnia, and that's what we wanted to try you on." Nice. And I thought it was a lie. I was like, wait, are these my friends? Wait, wait what? Uh, you know, I'm, I'm no one. I'm going to be working on Narnia. They're like, well, you're not going to be working on Narnia yet. You know, we want to bring you in uh, for an apprenticeship. And, um, you know, if you do well, then we'll keep you. So I was like, oh, man, yeah, I'm in. So then they flew me to, to L.A. And, and I did a month of, of the apprenticeship. And, and I was picked at the end uh, with, with another group of, of uh, students as well. Um, and that's where I started. So I worked at Rhythm and Hughes for about two years um, uh, on Garfield 2 and uh, Narnia, the first Narnia and uh, now the museum. And uh, after two years, I decided, you know, I, I, I wanted to go to something more, more, more impressive. You know, I wanted to, after, you know, after watching King Kong, I was like, oh, man, I want to go work for Weta, you know, Lord of the Rings and King Kong. So I applied there and luckily enough, I got in. I still don't know why, but um, but so I flew down to New Zealand, and uh, I was there for about five years um, until I decided to move back to LA uh, to join DreamWorks. Nice, very nice. Okay, so Edinburgh is that how you know Mike Jungbluth? That's right. Me and Mike uh-huh. together with the same class, and we took the same comic book class and the same <laughs> classes. And I love this guy to death. <laughs> well, I remember him uh, mentioning that's where he went to school, so that's why I put that's the right. two two together. So that's how you got hooked up with him and then the GDC as well. Then. Yep, yep, yep. Awesome, yep. awesome. Another quick question here, Jimmy Neutron. Were you there when Mike Walling was there? Uh, actually, I don't remember Mike there. I met Mike when I came to DreamWorks. Okay. Uh, I don't remember Mike there, unfortunately. He might have been before, uh, but I didn't work on Jimmy Neutron. I was just there uh, learning from my buddies. So I stayed in, I stayed at home while they were going to work. And, and every now and then I would go to the studio just to draw <laughs> bag to get a job. So you went over there and that was giving you the opportunity to learn Maya and then to kind of hone your skills a little bit more just to practice I, your stuff? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, so that's when you got your reel out for Rhythm and Hues. That's when I got my real alpha rhythm and use, yeah. And I, honestly, I think um, when I got in, it's only after a few months when I was already in where someone came to me and one of the soups, he was like, you know, you got in because of your 2D short and not your CG work, right? I was like, <laughs> wait, are you serious? He goes, yeah, man, we all laughed at, at your CG. Your 3D was like, eh. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, man, they're like, well, yeah, I mean, you know, as long as your storytelling is good, I think, and, you know, you can show that you can improve because when you're out of school, you know, you don't have 
they know they, ex- they don't expect you to have the chops right there and then to start jumping in production, you know. So, but they need to see that, yep, he's a guy that, you know, we can, we can tweak here and there and, 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 and he'll get it. And I think that's what they saw because if you look at my CG stuff at the time, I mean, today I will never, ever hire him, <laughs> ever. <laughs> it was terrible. <laughs> so now working at WEDA, what was it like there, having worked a couple of years in CG to a big company like WEDA? Uh, this is my first day at WEDA. So I get in and I still remember I'm, I was supposed to meet this lady at noon to go find a place to stay because I was still in the hotel. And I get in and I meet my supervisor and he's like, oh man, hey, uh, we're going we're gonna, to you know, uh, show you where you're going to sit. Um, and then we're going to start, you know, you're going to start slow and we're going to, you know, uh, show you a little bit of what we're working on. Yeah, that was about 9.30 a.m. And about 10.30, uh, the coordinator walks in the room and he goes, hey, go, hey, dude, we just we just got three shots for you. And, <laughs> and it was Tuesday morning. He's like, uh, and uh, we're going to launch you today and then maybe you'll be done Friday, you think? And I'm going, wait, I don't even know how to log in onto my computer. <laughs> nice. <laughs> That's weather for you. They, you get there and they just throw you in. It, I, honestly, I freaked out. Uh, the, my first couple of weeks there, I was like, I, I don't know if I can do this. This is, this is crazy. But, you know, it's honestly, it was the best thing for me because I, they, they threw me in and, and I, just to, I just had to pick up and, and just, you know, uh, get my groove on. And, and it was a lot of fun because they, it's a very much, at that time especially, I think it's changed a little bit now, but at that time it was very like a mom and pop shop, you know. Uh, um, you have to know a lot about everything, you know. It's not just animation. You've you, you got to be able to break things. You've got to be able to rig a little bit and, and model a little bit and, and make your shot look good uh, as much as you can, you know. Uh, before the other departments to, you know, take over. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it was very, very cool. They, they work much faster and, and if you do well, they throw bigger shots at you. The better you do, the bigger you get. And, nice. And if you don't want any more big shots, just start doing bad stuff. <laughs> I've learned that on Avatar, you know, when I started getting tired, I'm like, you know what, I can't do this. So I start doing bad and then they throw me bad stuff. <laughs> so what other skills do you have then that were assisting you in your animation? Do you know a little bit of raking and, or modeling? Very little, like very, very little. I mean, I, I did a little bit of modeling in school and a little bit of, of rigging, and I had to learn on the job at, at Weta, basically. If I need to learn, like on Avatar, I had to, if I had a shot of a character swinging on a vine, uh, you know, modeling and rigging might not have that vine ready. So uh, to be able to sell my shot, I need to build a vine, you know, simple rig, you know, simple stuff, and I animate it. And then they take my animation and they create the vine and the rig and they take my animation and they put it in there. They kind of follow the simple rig that I've done and they, you know, they improve on it. Uh-huh. Yeah. So, you know, it was a lot of that. You have to like your own shot to sell the shadow. You know, if it's a shot where there's, you know, like a dark room and your character comes out, you know, you have to sell it. So you have to create your own lighting and, and, and sell it, you know. Yeah. The reason why I ask is because we actually have, like I mentioned, the rigging workshops as well, where it's, we have a couple of our instructors who actually have an animation background. And part of the, the thought behind the rigging workshops was to be able to equip animators to be able to kind of do both. Because obviously you working at DreamWorks, you're that's a specialized studio, but that's not the case for a lot of other studios where an animator might go through our program and then have to jump to other studios where they get to work on multiple other disciplines. Yeah, I, I completely agree, and, and I think that's that's a sad reality sometimes when, you know, when you haven't done, you haven't tried the other side, it's it's hard to understand how they work, you know. And I think having touched a little bit of rigging, a little bit of modeling, I have a little more respect for these departments. I don't just see my shot and the rig is broken and I start crying and going, "Can somebody please help me?" <laughs> you know, I mean, you find that, you know, you know, in, in a lot of future animation studios because they're so specific, you know, uh, something breaks and like, you start crying. Uh, but I went, it wasn't like that. Something breaks. Well, uh, go fix it, bud. <laughs> nice. <laughs> <laughs> now, when you were there at Weta, did they link you up with somebody to kind of help tutor you along the way, kind of a mentor or were you kind of just on your own? Uh, no, I did. I wasn't assigned a specific mentor and, and the way Weta works was it's, it's a very open community is, uh, you know, everyone's willing to, to teach you something because everyone has been in these hard times over there. I mean, where you thrown in, you know, so if you go to somebody, you're like, dude, I don't want to do that. They laugh, they laugh and giggle and go, oh yeah, you just started. Have you? 
and uh, it's it's really a battlefield, you know. Everyone helps each other, which is which I think is is amazing at at where I'm, you know. And 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 what what also I love, there's no ego. I mean, there is an ego, but everyone keeps it in check, you know. Everybody is very, very, very helpful. You know, no one thinks they are better than you or you're better than them. This that's what I, that's what I thought was incredible over there. Um, everybody is incredibly helpful. Uh, so it was easy to just walk to another office, and you know. I, I'm still a geek, and I was a geek at that time as well. And and for me to meet people that have worked on all the rings, and you know, I just I love being in the offices just to ask questions. You know, even though I didn't have any questions, I'd be there. You know, just just to be there, just to be around them. Uh, I remember I was I was my office was right by Don Waller, who um, who was the animator who did the Gallimimus on uh, on Jurassic Park. And um, you know, I, and I would just, I would love to go to his office to sit down and, and and watch him animate and just ask him questions, you know. And he was such a cool guy, such a friendly guy. We're still friends today, which is, which is awesome. Nice. Now, um, we had actually a really cool podcast with Cameron and Dave Hubert talking about creatures and and how that's different in animation. And right. you've worked on, uh, as you mentioned, Avatar, Chronicles of Narnia, and then you're also working on How to Train Your Dragon Two. Is that correct? Yeah. Are you doing a lot of the dragons, or is it more of the biped? Mostly dragons. Okay. So can you talk a little bit about your process with the creatures and how that, that differs maybe from some of the other animations that you typically do? Um, sure. Um, I've, I've mostly done, done uh, creature work. Um, during GDC, for example, I don't know if you were there, Rick, but I showed uh, a little – I did a little – uh, unfortunately, I can't show it here, but, but I did a little uh, resume of my resume – uh, if I had to show how much acting I've done in um, in uh, visual effects, um, so then I showed this eight second video of basically only characters screaming, only monsters roaring. It's like rah 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 rah. <laughs> Honestly, on every film I've worked, you know, I've had roaring creatures, uh, from Rise of Planet of the Apes to Narnia, Avatar, uh, now the Museum, uh, the Water Horse. Every shot of a roaring character I've got. So that that was the extent of of how much acting I've got. But but as an animator, you know you know that you 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 want to do animation for acting. You know that that's that's the dream. You want to do two characters talking and and emoting. Uh, but I didn't do much of that. But that's that's what I've always wanted to do. And uh, but my process to go to go back to your question, uh, my process would be if. If I get a realistic character, for example, um, on another museum, I did the lions. Um, then, you know, the first thing I would do is, you know, spend days just just studying lions, you know, uh, um, and really look at the mechanics of things of how, you know, how uh, how how they're, how how they're built, you know, how uh, to 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 know how they move. Uh, but if I'm doing um, um, like uh, like the banshees from from Avatar, you know. We don't have birds that size, you know, that that I can reference. So you 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 go as close as you can. You know, you find like uh, I remember I was looking at vultures and and bats sometimes, and and you know, uh, majestic uh, you know birds, uh, bald eagles as well. And and you then you kind you you try to to uh, you know take from that to build your creature. But you have to still be creative because these are creatures that. Don't exist. For example, the bench has a long neck. Um, uh, you know, no birds with that long of neck. You know, uh, that size exists. So you have to go as close as you can. You know, if find some flamingos maybe and see how the neck move. You know, when they're flying. Um, so that's probably the first thing I would do. Um, and then, uh, you know, then I just you know jump into jump into Maya or whatever software that I'm using and and start really you know feeling for the character. Uh, for example, right now in dragons, it's it's um, you know very similar. You know, dragons don't exist, but you go as close as you can. You know, birds, you find birds, and and the dragon that I'm doing right now. I mean, I'm not allowed to, to talk about it, but it's uh, you know it's it's a it's a heavy creature. You know, so I find the closest you know heavy animal that I can find to see how they move, even if they don't fly. Um, and then I try and go and 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 figure out how they would fly. And you have to be creative as well and still be physically believable you know as long as the creature is believable uh, that's that's what sells it that's what sells it yeah. mm -hmm. now how do you approach the animation process because one of the things we were talking about with cameron and david was how they kind of block things out a little bit differently whether the main part of the torso is going to lead it and then kind of work on the back part as a secondary or how do you do that 
Um, they probably work in a layered process, right? They probably work on the chest first and then the, uh, you know, it, it honestly, it all depends on the kind of shot that you get. I don't have a specific, I, I can't just tell you, well, every shot that I get, that's how I block it. It all depends on how the shot is, is, is built. Sometimes I would honestly just go in there. I would not even think about, about step mode. You know, I would just go in there and start animate it in spline mode. Because I, I know in my mind what I want, you know, as long as you know in your mind what you want, you can actually just go in there and, and, and the more you do it, you know, the more you, you, you can visualize it before, before you even start the shot. Uh, but from time to time, for example, on, on uh, the second Narnia, uh, Prince Caspian, I did, uh, I did the werewolf and the werewolf was, you know, uh, the character turned around and he jumped on this, on this large stone and he leaped forward and he leapt forward. And, um, um, the reference I used for that one was humans and dogs, you know, I had to mix the two of them together. You know, the first pass that I did, it was, the reference I used was, was, was dog. And when the director saw it, he's like, yeah, it's too animal. We got to go a little more human because it's, it's, it's a werewolf, you know, it's, it's half human, half dog. So, so I had to put a little bit more human to it, you know, instead of all four legs, I had to make it on three legs, you know, one arm was a little up, you know, a little more human. And the way I blocked that one was I, I did it in step mode. You know, I, I, I posed it and I wasn't sure what, I, what it was going to look like in the end. So I had to go step mode and really figure out my poses and, and, and really be careful about it. But right now in dragons, for example, I, you know, I'm not even going step mode. In my mind, I know how this dragon will look like just because I've, I've done so much flying before, you know, an avatar, for example, I've, you know, I've, I've learned a lot about flying. So now I kind of have an idea of, of what I want it to look like, even though it might not exactly look like that, you know. Um, so I don't do it step mode. I just go in and animate it, you know, uh, straight ahead. Not Well, not straight ahead, uh, but in spline mode, you know. But the danger of spline mode is it's it's uh, it's kind of a lie because the, the computer... Um, animates for you, right? The computer does the in-between for you. You do a pose, you do a pose, it does the in-between. So sometimes, if you don't have any experience, this becomes dangerous because you see it move already and you tend to get blinded by this and you're like, all right, this looks good already. And that's the danger. Um, the more you do it, the more you realize how much more work you have to do in-between. You, know, you can't just <laughs> computer do it for you. you know? That's the danger of, of starting spline, spline mode. But if you're doing step mode, there's nothing in the middle. You're doing it the same way the 2D guys were doing it. So you have a drawing, a drawing. You're planning, you know, out of nothing, you know, what's happening in between. Uh, but, you know, there are the positives and negatives of both. Right, right. How was it working on some of the creatures that you did in the past? Like you mentioned, the lions on um, not the Museum or Chronicles of Narnia. Did you use any mocap for those? Uh, was there any on, on, on the older films? No, uh well, to be honest with you, you just mentioned now the museum and Chronicles of Narnia. I don't think a lot of people know that, but um, I think it was the same rig that they used for Aslan that they used for now the museum. Uh, I think they probably just dumbed down the facial because that lion didn't need as much, and they changed it a little bit, um, which is really cool. Uh, you know, people watching it won't know that. Oh, wow, that's the same. <laughs> that's <thing>. Aslan. <laughs> um, uh, well. Yeah, we used a lot of motion capture on Avatar, but it was mostly um, the humanoids. And, and to be honest with you, when we started on Avatar, there were you know the the motion capture data wasn't quite there yet. So in all the shots that we were starting, uh, we were keyframing them. You know, I've got full body humans that I keyframed completely. Um, but then you know we, we we had a full motion edit team. The animators didn't have to 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 prepare the motion capture. We had a full team that would do it. And then they will send it to us upstairs, you know, to animation. And if there are any changes to the performance, like a change, a change an arm, then we would go and delete the motion capture and, and, and redo that arm. Uh, and that was always the, the, the tough thing, you know, especially on Avatar. But what was great is, is, is Cameron filmed everything. So you had the video of the actual actor on set in the motion capture suit doing it. So you had him as reference. Even if the motion capture wasn't ready, you could grab this and roto if you have to. You know, I, I found myself having to do this. For example, there was, um, uh, there was a sequence where, where Jake Sully was, was wrestling with the, with the Banshee. Uh, you know, his Banshee for the first time, he was wrestling with, with, uh, with that creature. And uh, the motion capture was, was, you know, he was wrestling on stage with a foam, with a big piece of foam. And uh, so he was crushing the foam completely. So it, 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 it couldn't work with a creature 
thick neck, you know, that you couldn't crush. So I found myself having to completely delete it and take the reference, take the, the, the footage and replicate that. What I did is I animated the creature first. You know, I made sure I, I got the creature the way I liked it. And then I basically went on to, and I made sure that the neck would work with what I'm going to rotoscope. And then I basically animated, keyframed, you know, the, the character on top of it. Um, and, uh, and then, you know, and then link it together and make sure that it works. But in the end, you know, you don't know that that's not motion capture. We didn't use much motion capture rhythm and hues, uh, especially in Narnia or, or, uh, now the museum. Uh, I mean, none of the creatures were motion captured, you know, none of the lions were motion captured, none of the horse. Uh, actually we did have some motion capture horse. That's right. We did. Um, but yeah, but most, most of what I've worked with at Rhythm and Hughes, I didn't have to deal with motion capture. Um, you know, Garfield didn't have any motion capture. The Lions didn't. Um, yeah. So what were some of the pros and cons for you having to deal with shots that you had to use data from? Well, it was, you know, the, the restriction of it because it's uh, it's when you have keys, a motion capture, the data comes in and there are keys on every frame. And usually how the data works is if you have a spine that goes from, let's say, uh, from the hips to the chest, and let's say there are three bones in there, uh, the motion capture data doesn't clean that. That If there's an arc, a clean arc, the data might be in the hip, it's, it's in a way, and then in the middle bone, it's, it's countering the hip, and then in the chest, it's countering again that middle bone to, to straighten uh, the back. In, if you're keyframing this, you may basically keep everything clean, but the, the motion capture data doesn't, didn't actually, I don't know if it does it now, but it didn't at the time clean that up for you. So if you have to tweak one little thing in the chest and you delete that one key, everything breaks because the lower bone is based, that's driving the upper, the, the, the upper bone is basically countering another one. So you can't have a clean data. So it was it was a nightmare if ever you have to to clean you have you have to work with motion capture. And usually what I do, man, I would just delete the whole thing and pick up the video reference and, and, and follow that. You know, it's honestly in the end the director will never know. As long as it looks believable, you know. That was a trick is to make sure that it looks like this is a real heavy or has weight or a balanced character, you know, it doesn't look animated. Uh, that was a trick. But no, no, we didn't use much motion capture on, on the lines. No. Okay. Yeah, that's kind of what I was looking at to see the contrast in the two. Now, you were talking about it, make it believable, and that was the topic of your GDC boot camp lecture there. I know you mentioned that you used a lot of video for that, and so obviously we can't get a replica here of your, your lecture. But can you talk a little bit about what your goal was for that lecture and a little bit about it? Uh, sure. That's one thing that, uh, you know, that really intrigued me was was – you know, what makes an actor, um, what makes an actor, you know, awesome. You know, we all watch movies and, and, and uh, you know, we're like, oh, wow, this performance was, was awesome. But, you know, I bet you if you try and ask that person, you know, why was that performance awesome? It's, it's a tough question. You know, they'll be like, well, he was good. But what made him good? Can you pick a shot and tell me what makes him good in that moment? And that's what really intrigued me. So what I did is I gathered, you know, a lot of videos of of, of little 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 short little um, scenes from actors that I, that I really really enjoy watching, and I dissected it, you know, to to show you know what makes a character think, um, and and usually I mean uh, this talk was mostly focused on on a thinking character, not just a a character who's talking because. I think the talking part is the easy part, you know. We can we can all animate a lip sync, we can all animate, you know, a head moving when a character is talking. But I think a lot of us fail, we fall flat whenever there's a character that's in the middle of two sentences. You know, you have a character saying something and then he's wait he's there's a break in between his line and he's about to say the uh, you know the, the the next line. What happens during that break? You know, does the character wait for the other line? And that's what usually we do. You know, we, we forget that the character is is thinking in that middle bit. So that was the focus of my talk was to show all these actors what they do during the time another character is talking. What happens in that little moment? How do they, you know, for example, I took a shot from uh, from The Godfather, uh, the first shot in the first Godfather where that guy comes to Marlon Brando and is talking in his ears 
and he and he walks away. I mean, if you watch that little scene, it's so simple, but it's so incredible because uh, he, what he says, he says, no, that I cannot do, right? He says, uh, no, that I cannot do. But before he says that line, he does about five little motion. And from the first motion that he does, he, he basically looks down. And I thought that was amazing because when he looks down after the guy walks away, that, look, that little look down, basically he's processing what he's about to say. And then as the guy's walking, he looks up and he follows him with his eyes. That follow is so powerful because at that point, he already knows he's about to say no. But he doesn't say it. He actually scratches his little mustache. Then he does a little hand gesture. Then he shakes his head no before he actually voices it. <laughs> and if you go and watch this, it is so simple, but yet it shows so much thinking, you know, in before he says it. And usually when we're animating, we don't do that because we have the line, we have the dialogue, we know, we know he's about to say no. We forget that the character probably a minute before he says no already knows he's about to say no. So how does he, what's the, you know, that's the motivation, you know, you find the motivation as well, but, but what, you know, what does his body, what does his body do? What does his face do? What does his eyes do? What does his mouth do right before he's about to say no? And I think that's what's really hard to get in animation, you know, and that was the, that was the main focus of, of the talk. Man, sounds like a great lecture there. You also worked on Rise of the Guardians. What was some of the stuff that you did on that movie? Um, I was mostly on on Jack. So there, you got to do some uh, heavy acting, right? Yes, show was a, <laughs> it was really an, an eye opener because I got you know again thrown into the deep end of of, uh, you know I can honestly say it was probably the toughest character in, you know in in the film because he was a boring guy. You know he's Jack is just a boring simple boy and he's not as fun as as North or as 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 jolly as Tooth Fairy or as you know dramatic as as Pitch. He's more of the little kid who's here and who doesn't have much of a of a personality himself. He's very you know boring, um, but you know we had to to and and honestly I don't know if that was the right way to go, but you know we tried to keep him very realistic uh, because of his proportions as well. It was tough. As soon as we push him, he he looked uh, you know too cartoony and almost broken. Um, so we went very realistic and honestly I think you know we could have pushed it a bit more than we did. Um, but, uh, but that's the path we chose, you know, and, and I think it worked all right in the end. And, uh, and I learned so much during that show because, uh, that's, that's what really got me into, uh, you know, what makes a character, you know, tick, you know, what's the thinking behind a character saying something. Um, cause I, you know, I did lots of study, you know, uh, watching people's eyes and how it works and all the detail in there and, and um, and yeah, it was it was a tough show. It was a really tough show, but you know, I had a lot of fun, and I learned a lot, you know, on on, on Jack. Mm. I really liked the movie. I've had some of the other guests on here who've worked on it, and I've mentioned that before, but I really did like that one a lot. Um, what were some of the other things that you felt like you learned from that? That you, like you said, it was a very challenging one. That but you'll take from show to show. Um, well. Uh, well, definitely. I, the one thing that I'm sad that I didn't do enough on this show, the schedule of this sh- on this show was 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 unforgiving. You know, it was a show that I get it shot on Monday and I have to get it done for Friday, and it was my first show where I was really getting into acting. You know, I've done some acting before, but it wasn't as this was honestly a full on acting show, especially a full on acting character. Um, and uh, you know, I. It, I wanted this first, my first acting show to be, I have more time on this where I can really, you know, learn, you know, what it means, you know, to do that kind of stuff. And, but I didn't get that, that chance. I was learning as I was doing it. And I was seeing my shot getting final without me finishing them and really polishing them. And I think polish, you know, adds so much to your animation. You know, it, 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 it moves it from being good to being incredible. That's why I, I love Disney films because there's so much polish to them. And I love Blue Sky films because, you know, sometimes I think they over-polish their work, but I still love seeing, uh, you know, polished stuff. It's, it's so beautiful. That's the entertainment value of it, you know, when you polish an arc and you make it really nice to look at, you know. And, I, and that was my thing that I've learned on, on Guardians is, you know, make sure you have time. You, you give yourself some, some, some time at the end to, to polish your work because now when I look back at some stuff that I've done, like, oh, man, you know, I could really have pushed the timing there and, and you know, push the arc there, you know, push that pose there a little bit. Uh, but, you know, I was getting my shots done so fast. You know, I had to, like, 
I get my shot launched on, on Monday and I have Monday and Tuesday to shoot reference. Tuesday I start blocking it. I get it blocked in you know in two days, show it on Thursday morning, get it final on Friday. <laughs> I did a shot, a huge shot, about 200 frames or more in four days. And it's crazy when you have a full performing character and, and you know, you don't have that much time to actually go, all right, what is the character thinking right there? You know, no, I just throw myself into the into the reference room and, and, and do it. And, you know, but the animators that are better than me that do it so much better, you know, the animators out there that they, they are natural at this. They go in there, they get the best reference, they come out and they make it look like gold. And I hate it. <laughs> you know, I, I, I learned a lot from these guys as well, which was which was fantastic. Yeah. So, do you shoot your own reference? Uh, for the most part, you know, there are stuff that you know I, I I couldn't shoot myself. There are some physical stuff that Jack had to do that, you know, I mean, my body cannot handle doing. And uh, so I, you know, then you find people that can do it. You know, uh, there were a couple of guys that were you know good at like taekwondo and karate, and you know, you find these guys to jump around for you and. And then you film them, and then you take what you know what you get. So mm. your ability to analyze reference, like you've mentioned that you worked on uh, Chronicles of Narnia, Avatar, I could see where that would play a heavy role in you be able to analyze reference for your acting shots as well. I'm sure it played a big role in regards to uh, Rise of the Guardians. Yeah, yeah, it definitely did. Uh, uh, you know, movies like I think my biggest reference learning project was was uh, Rise of the Planet of the Apes, and uh, that was a show that I didn't do much in terms of animation because uh, I was leading on the project, so I had a full sequence, you know, many sequences to take care of. So I only did five shots on that on that project. I wish I'd done more. But it was a show that gave me time to to watch and learn. Sometimes we forget, you know, we we animate, 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 and we, we never take time to to move back and and look at what we just did and and study it a little bit. Take some time to think about it. Um, and I I got to do that on Rise of Planet of the Apes because I was watching other animators do shots that I that I wanted to do, but because of time, because I had so much more to take care of, you know, I I, I couldn't do that. Uh, but I got you know I, the few shots that I had I had a couple of shots that were that were very very tough um, because they were fully keyframed and they were very subtle realistic basically motion captured movement that I had to keyframe because we didn't have the data on some of the shots and you know I failed miserably you know when I started them because I would push it too far but when you have shots prior to it and shots after that my shot and they're all motion captured. I can't bring in a shot in the middle that's too pushed. It breaks it. You know, you, you, you notice it. You can't <laughs> notice Caesar uh, being cartoony in the middle shot while the two shots that sandwiches it, you know, are, are motion captured. So, you know, it was me and my and, and uh, my, my head of animation, you know, watching it. And he would – because he had a fresh eye on it, right? The subtle little – I had a shot where Caesar was by, by the car – and the main character would come in and open the trunk of the car, and he goes, "Caesar, come on, jump in." And Caesar was was pouting. He was angry, so he he would look away, and, and then he would look back, kind of angry at, at him. And that shot was so subtle; he was barely moving, and it was fully keyframed. And it was a nightmare because I had Andy Serkis's uh, reference, and uh, you know, right by right by it, and I was basically copying, but also trying to push it because. His proportions were different from Caesar's proportion, and his facial just didn't match uh, uh, a chimpanzee's facial. Mm -hmm. I had to go in there and make sure all his muscles on his face, I could take these these motion and apply it to a chimpanzee's face because, you know, our proportions are completely different. And if I copy it, it just doesn't look right. It looks, you know, disjointed because we, they have different, their muscles are larger and bigger on the face. So, uh, you know, I had to make it logical, basically. Uh, I had to look at it and, and, and try and push it as, and still look real. So that was incredibly, incredibly difficult. And I remember I, I spent weeks on this one shot uh, as I was running into meetings every hour, basically. But, uh, but yeah, that was probably the show that I, I learned the most. Because the reason I mentioned that is because I know in one of my classes with uh, Ted T, he, right, Ted. yeah, <laughs> great guy, great instructor, but he's he's a stickler for that stuff with reference. Yeah. And one of the things that he was 
trying to get us to do was to basically to be able to analyze our reference so closely that we could learn how to push it from there. Exactly. I mean, it's just like drawing. I mean, a lot of people, I think they look down upon upon copying reference, and I do too. Trust me, I do too. I, I don't like it when we copy reference, and I've done it. I am not happy about it. I'm ashamed of it, but it's it's we cannot dis, you know disreference because honestly, if you look at the early Disney's, you know they were heavily referenced, but then they started pushing stuff, you know, and uh, it's like drawing with you know the, the Disney, Disney would never hire you, you know, in the old days if you knew how to draw Bugs Bunny or or, or Donald Duck or, or Mickey Mouse, you know they'll hire you if you knew anatomy. So they knew if if you knew how to do how to do the real thing, you can push it any way you want and still make it believable. That's the trick. It goes the same for animation. If you know, if you can pinpoint a realistic movement, you can push it and still make it look believable. So if you train your eye to copy reference and then go in and push things where you can, your performance will be incredibly believable. But you have to push. You cannot let it be just like the reference. Everything looks mushy and, and, and you know, everything looks very floaty if you do that. Mm. You know, like Avatar, the, the, the facials, for example, we had to go in there and really push the, the, these facials. So uh, it was slightly caricatured, but it was we still tried to make it look believable. Have to do that. That's why I, I believe, you know, I believe in reference. And Ted T and I were both on Jack Frost. So yeah, yeah. Heavily hammered on Jack. <laughs> <laughs> so, so what advice would you give somebody on how to learn how to analyze reference? Um, well... You know, there are many ways you can do it. Is if you uh, the first few, the first time you do it, go in there. Don't think about pushing it. Just copy it, uh, and then uh, take a break from it. Come back and look at your animation, uh, and you'll see things. You know, like like if you do a simple turnaround. I mean, we did this as a test on uh, our supervisor, uh, Dave Pate. He, he was fantastic at at looking realistic reference. And he, um, you know, he gave us, he gave everyone that would join Guardians as an animator, he would give them two exercises to do. One was an eye test and one was uh, was a turnaround, a simple turnaround test. And uh, the turnaround test was, you know, a very simple test, just a character turning around, but he wanted it to be extremely realistic. Basically, go in and copy your reference. And you could see how many of us fail doing this because we forget how to look. We forget to look at what's there. You know, we imagine, well, that's how the weight should be when we do it. But when you do it, it just looks off. And uh, so the first few times you do it, forget about what you know. Just do what you see. And the more you get used to this, that's when you can, that's when you can start uh, you know, to push things here and there and, and still be and still be believable. Um, so if you're following your reference, don't be scared to copy at first, but that's not things that you'll put on your demo reel. You don't want to copy reference for your demo reel because people can tell when they see, they're like, well, why don't you just motion capture that, you know? So you've got to be able to be creative as well and make choices of, of pushing this arc, you know, pushing this, this head, head gesture, you know, uh, pushing the weight there a little bit and then make sure that it's still appealing and yet believable. You know? Now, how did some of this play into the rest of the GDC lectures, because you started it out in GDC being Game Developers Conference. How did that play a role into video games? To be honest, I think Mike wanted the first talk to be about animation and get everybody in a place where they are excited about the art of animation itself. I'm a huge gamer. I, I love playing games, but I've never worked in video games. I'm actually working on a little game myself with a group of guys. And uh, which is a lot of fun. So that's the only that's the extent of my knowledge in doing games. But you know, I, I love playing games, and and so I was able to relate to to the other guys when they were talking. But um, I think Mike did a good job. Mike and Tim, I think, did a really good job uh, planning it because I was the first the first to talk, and I did a talk about the transition between VFX and uh, and and feature animation, but focusing on performance and a thinking character. And I talked a little bit about what I observed in, in video games that I've been seeing in the last couple of years, how incredible they are and how much they've been moving, they're, they're moving forward. Uh, and then the next person after me was, was Amy Drobeck, who, is, who has a, a background of feature animation in, at Disney, but now she moved into games. So she was a transition from film um, into video games. Uh, and then after that, it was video games all the way till the end where he wrapped it up again. He I think Mike and Ed's talk were about performance. So it came back to me talking about performance. It was a really well-planned uh, talk, I thought. Very cool. 
Well, I had, I had a quick question. Um, you know, uh, hey, Jello, what's up? <laughs> <laughs> just, just throw that out there. How was it working with the, the different directors, like at Weto, you know, working with James Cameron and Spielberg and Peter Jackson? Did you did you get to work with them? And, like, how was the, the relationship? Um, well, to be honest, some of these directors, you, you know, you rarely see them. Uh, I've never personally seen Steven Spielberg. Um, I, I was on Tintin for a very, very short time. I was on it for just a few months. Um, and I wasn't very happy on Tintin so because it was so heavily motion captured that I wanted something a bit a bit fresher for me, especially coming off Avatar. I was like, oh, I need something different. Um, hence why they put me on Rise of the Apes. Um, but, um, right, uh, which was... <laughs> yeah. But... Um, but you know, with James Cameron, it was you know we would we would have him on because he was mostly in uh, in in the U.S. So he would be on on um, he would be on the screen you know in dailies, and um, we were very close with our uh, VFX supervisor, uh, and not really with him. He came in a couple of times, so we got to meet him and talk to him about you know about the project. But he wouldn't be hands on because he's more of the guy that's on set, and he was honestly. Even though the movie was done, he was still shooting, he was still doing tests and still doing other stuff. So he was really down at the studio, especially, you know, uh, at the, in the animation department. Um, PJ is a different guy. Peter Jackson is a, is, 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 is a different, is, is another different kind of director. He, he uh, you know, he has his own little office, you know, somewhere else where the VFX producer will go. He, I don't think he's ever come to the animation department to actually say hi. I mean, I think that probably was the case on all the rings, but it wasn't the case when we were there. Um, but in dailies, you know, he's, I mean, sometimes, you know, you get to see him, uh, which is really cool because the whole time, instead of listening to the notes he's giving, you're like, I'm sitting with Peter Jackson. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but in terms of, of working ethic, they're all extremely different. Uh, with James Cameron, he's he's always right. You know, he, he knows what he wants. He's very specific. Uh, you know about his notes. He's, um, but the thing is, he's he knows exactly what he wants. To me, he was one of the best directors I've worked with because he knows exactly what he wants. If he tells you to do, uh, you know, to do a ball bounce to hit the ceiling, and you do it hit the wall, um, you know, he'll tell you. Well, last time I told you to hit the ceiling, and you might have forgot. You might go wait a second. He never said that. But if you go back and look at the at the video of what he said in the previous uh, dailies, he said exactly that. So uh, he's very, very specific in what he wants. Um, uh, Peter Jackson is completely the opposite. He'll be like, "Hey, can you can you make the can you make the T Rex come from screen left to attack King Kong and make King Kong jump from 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 this tree?" And you do it. You work really hard. They show next week. He goes, "Actually, we're gonna have <laughs> we're gonna have a T Rex now. We're gonna have a, a two gorillas. Oh no, actually, forget the gorillas. We're gonna have a fish." Uh, <laughs> that's awesome i mean he's he's ruthless but you know i mean his movies are uh, awesome you know i love his stuff so now what about he's... how to train your dragon 2 because that's with chris sanders right no actually that, that that's with dean chris uh chris is not doing it with dean this time around it's only dean dean to me is is just uh, you know just a genius you sit in dailies and he's again he's another director that knows exactly what he wants he he, but the thing about him is he lets you be creative. And I think that's a gift for an animator if you have a director that lets you be creative and lets you do your job. He only guides you when he feels you're straying too far from his story. Dean is a very story-oriented person. You know, if, he, if you do something cool on screen, he will never tell you, well, that's not what I thought, so do it the way I want you to do it. Um, he'll be like, you know what, that's really cool. And it doesn't spoil my story. It doesn't affect the story. It actually looks really nice on screen. So instead of killing the animator, I'm going to keep him fresh and let him be f have fun with this shot and, and move on to the next shot. So, uh, yeah, I mean, he's, he's just phenomenal. And, yeah, it's an incredible experience right now working with him. Yeah, having talked with Jason and Mike on our previous couple podcasts, they mentioned uh, Crudes with Chris Sanders was a very nice project to work on, I think, for the same kind of reason. So I could see from an animator standpoint where you're like you're saying here, where you've got some nice direction, but still some freedom to breathe and feel like you're still being creative. And and I have to say the same for Peter Ramsey, you know, on, on Rise of the Guardians. He he was a little more uh, picky when he came to the acting. And, and that was tough sometimes, but but he knew what he wanted to. He, um, you know, 
and I and he and he was he was he has a he has a, a film background, so he's from live action. So this was a, he this was his first animated feature. It was tough, you know, working with him, but he knew what he wanted to. So, you know, if you do a character which is happy and he wants it angry, he wouldn't be able to pick exactly what you need to to fix. But he'll tell you the feeling I'm getting here is the character is too happy. So you have to go and work with your head of animation and figure out, you know, why is it too happy? But, but he was very focused on acting. That's why, you know, Razzle's acting-wise, it was very successful because, you know, he he had that background, which he brought to the film. I can see where those are the ones where you have to kind of go back and maybe you're frustrated at the time, but you feel like, oh, after you nailed the shot, like, oh, okay, I grew in that shot. I learned something there. Exactly. Especially knowing the character, because at first you have no idea what the character is supposed to do. And Peter knew exactly what Jack was supposed to be like. You know, he, if he didn't know, when he sees Jack, he knows it's Jack. Sometimes he might not know, okay, what Jack is supposed to do there. But if the animator nails it, uh, you know, he'll see it. He's like, yep, that's Jack. So the first few shots, it took a little while for us to get a hold of Jack. And, and eventually we did. You know, eventually all the animators on the, on the Jack team were just, we were getting it. We knew what Jack would do. And we would be like, you know what, Jack would never do that. So we knew we were, you know, on the same wavelength as, as Peter, which was awesome. Mm, very nice. Very nice. Is there anything you want to plug? Like a, a website? Out. Yeah. Oh. Quick shout out to your, one of your best friends from Weta. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, any game that you want to promote, like any game that you, you like. Yeah. What are you playing right now? What do you said you, you enjoy playing games? What are you playing right now? Actually playing uh, Fire Emblem on my Nintendo 3D 3DS at the moment. Ooh, and cool! Little RPG really, action. Yeah, on PC I'm playing uh, Tomb Raider, but I'm, I'm still very early on in the game, so I don't have. I honestly, I come home and I'm have a couple little unannounced projects that I'm working on at home. So I, you know, and that's been taking you know all my time. Um, but uh, but yeah. What are some of your favorite kind of games? Um, I enjoy strategy games, you know, Starcraft. I should be getting the new one. I haven't, I haven't had a chance to get it. I love FIFA. I mean, I, that's the one game that I play all the time when I have time because it's, it's a very easy game to just play one match and be done with it. Um, I love adventure RPGs, you know, Skyrim was incredible. Uh, Tomb Raider is fun. I'm trying, I'm probably will try Bioshock. Uh, I don't know how much time I'm going to have. I don't, <laughs> honestly, I don't have much time to finish games. So I play them as much as I can. And then when I'm done, I'm done. And the thing is, I have to share the TV with my wife, so that's always uh, always troubling. You know, I always get the book. <laughs> so I need to find a game that she can enjoy, and I try to go. Oh, this is really fun. The characters, you know, it's like a movie. You know, <laughs> try to, nice. try to sell it. Nice. <laughs> well, very cool, Jalil. We do again appreciate your time, and uh, thanks for joining us, man. Of course, no, thank you, Larry, and and, and and Rick, and hopefully, you know, we'll get to see each other someday. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. All right, man. Take care. Uh, you too. Bye.